Presented here is a free teaser for this month's edition of the Top Rope Nation Classics Patreon bonus podcast. Every single month, we release a deep dive on a classic wrestling event as voted on by our supporters on Patreon. It's a true historical deep dive. The only place to hear these shows in full? Join the Patreon page for just $5 per month. The link is right here in the podcast description. Patreon is the best way to support the show. We are confident you will enjoy the content we're offering, all the bonus content over on Patreon. For just $5 per month, not only do you gain access to the monthly Top Rope Nation Classics bonus podcast on Patreon, you also receive access to a weekly bonus podcast, Top Rope Nation Extra. That's five bonus shows per month for $5, plus other benefits like access to our show notes every week, voting on which events we cover for classics, and more. So click that link in the episode description and read all about it over on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Nation and enjoy this special free preview of this month's retro show. Here for a highly, highly anticipated edition of Top Rope Nation Classics. It is the 26th Top Rope Nation Classics in this show's history. I'm Ryan Drosty, joined by Justin Joint, Kyle Ross. Been anticipating this one, not even for weeks, more like years. The WWF 1992 Royal Rumble look back. Uh, We are just past the 30th anniversary of this show. And boys, I mean, I think... Right away, I can say right from the top that uh, one thing I'm certain about tonight, Top Rope Nation will be fair to Flair. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle, you ready for this one? Oh, I'm ready. And, you know, I got a little bit of a message for Nick Khan. Oh, big uh, wig at WWE. You know, I I assume that Top Rope Nation is going to be getting cut a very big check in the next week or so, because who's hyped up the Royal Rumble better than this podcast? Okay. (laughs) Every single day on Facebook, we talk about one or two of the events, you know, you know, in history, go through paper, we're going through them in chronology year by year. Uh, Last week, patron of the show, Michael Jenkinson joined us and we had this wonderful analytical history of the rumble, breaking down the 30 best rumblers. More recently, Liam and I talked about, Uh, the conceptual history of the Rumble and how it's evolved over its history. And tonight, we talk about the best Rumble ever. So, I mean, my God, if you're a fan of Top Rope Nation, I said this on the pod with Liam, I mean, you know, fan of the Rumble, fan of Top Rope Nation, you must be in heaven because we've done a heck of a lot better job getting over this event than they have on WWE television, in my opinion. Thank you very much. You know, I, I like your optimism, Kyle, but we're still waiting for that Taco John's check, too, that we've never gotten. <laughs> That's, That's so a good true. point. Yes. <laughs> that is so true. I think you're. I think what you said is right on, man, because I'm kind of now just looking forward to watching the Rumble match Saturday after just watching old Rumbles, talking about old Rumbles. I mean, I posted on our main feed a preview of the, the uh, extra show you and Liam did the other day, and when I was typing in the title, 
I'm looking down like the feet of our main show and like everything has Royal Rumble in the title the last few weeks. So I'm like, how can I separate this from from the other so people can tell when they look at the feet it's a new show because it's all we've been talking about. I mean, but good Rumble stuff, not this current 2022 crap. No doubt about it. Justin, you ready to dive back into 1992? Yeah, I uh, poured myself a glass of Chivas Regal, about as close as I can get to anything royal. Um, and frankly, you know, I always thought it was kind of dumb when the wrestlers would run to the ring during their entrance. But frankly, I was so excited for this pod that if we had to make an entrance to it, I would have been running. <laughs> <laughs> like Randy Savage with his fastest 100 meter dash time of all time in yeah. that match. Well, okay. Oh. Did he run faster than a roided up Ben Johnson in 1988? It's time to rumble! It's time for the Royal Rumble! So it's at the Knickerbocker Arena, which is now the MVP Arena in Albany, New York. Uh, 17,000 people, a sellout, a live gate of $210,000. Looks good on television. Packed house, the crowd is into it. Yeah, love that crowd. A hot crowd for this era of WWF. Mm hmm. Pay per view buys, though. And, and Kyle, you talked about this on the show you just did with Liam looking back at the Royal Rumble, you know, as a whole and the growth of the Rumble and everything. 260,000 buys, which uh, really was not a great number. No, it was way down from the previous year. And again, I had mentioned it just moments ago, if you guys were aware of it. And, you know, as children, we, we weren't. But there was a big steroid scandal going on with this company. And business was starting to decline after WrestleMania. It would completely fall in the toilet. But Survivor Series 91 had not done well either. So we had started to see the effects because the product was definitely hotter. If you watch the TV, my God, it improves. Yeah. But I think that's the culprit there that, you know, Hulk Hogan's reputation is kind of going in the mud and the company's with it. Yeah. Yeah. Two years earlier, the 1990 Royal Rumble, which we did a live watch along to on classics a couple of years ago, check that in the archives. Also did 260,000 buys, which was the same as 92. But then the one in between, uh, Rumble 91, you know, with the big Warrior Slaughter title match, 440,000 buys. And then as you go through 91, Mania 7, 400,000, SummerSlam, 405, Survivor Series 91, 300, Tuesday in Texas, 140. And then you get to Rumble 92, 260. WrestleMania 8 did 380. But anyways, that's where they're at. So it's a disappointing number because they are on that downward trend, you know, going back the last couple of years. Steroid trial impact for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. This, this the, the, what I was talking about earlier, that Ric Flair, the NWA champ, 
proving that he is the best in a WWF environment is why this is one of the greatest matches of all time. It's not the minutia that takes away. It's it's that. It's this big picture thing that you walk yeah. away from. And it's that's why. Like, all the great matches for me, this is the way I evaluate, have a larger meaning in the history of wrestling. Bret Hart and Steve Austin was voted match of the year in 97 by most people. Okay, and that's a remarkable achievement given a lot of the matches that took place that year. But it is clearly in, then enhanced later on by the fact that it is the launching pad for Steve Austin to become the biggest draw in the history of that company. And so there's just a larger story at play. And when you talk about younger fans, I just think that they're so conditioned to not really understand some of these larger pictures at play in these older matches because there are no larger pictures at play. With modern WWE. I I think that might have been it. I don't want to put words in the guy's mouth, but maybe that was it. To me, it's not just about, you know, hyper-analyzing, oh, Randy Savage fucked up the script, what he was supposed to do. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, he did, but, you know, or Hulk Hogan gets booed a little bit. Okay, yeah, he did, but that is all so secondary, tertiary, whatever, to... Ric Flair coming in and just proving everybody to the shed, beyond a shadow that he's the best ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, like, like I was referring to earlier with all the pictures I saw of Ric Flair in all the books, it, it legitimized all of wrestling to me, not as being real, but being important. Yeah. And what do you guys think about my point? Like, this is the end of the night. Like if you were to try to get somebody to understand 1980s wrestling, like you're, your wives, for instance. Like, if your wife was like, honey, I don't... What was the big deal about 1980s wrestling? You would probably show them either this or WrestleMania 3. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like the best way to encapsulate and give them the vibe of what 1980s wrestling was at its peak. And this show didn't do great business, but... It's it's you see the big stars come out and it's an easy to consume match in that tape machines review. He talked. This is the only 60 minute match that you would ever show a non fan. Yet these there are people I see in these Facebook groups. Oh, first match I'd show a non fan is Omega versus Okada. Motherfucker, you're going to be sitting by yourself in 30 minutes. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's no disrespect to that match, which is an all time match. But yeah. a someone who does not watch wrestling will not comprehend that match. This the beauty of this match is that it is so fucking easy to consume. Mm-hmm. To explain like the greatness of that era to somebody who has never seen it, if I was going to show them a few things, I'd show them Mania three, you know, or I'd talk about the WWF, you know, this mainstream juggernaut, the celebrities. You show them Mania three, you know, you get Aretha Franklin out there, you get Alice Cooper out there, you know, Mister Baseball, <laughs> all of that, um, Hulk and Andre, you know, the Princess Bride connection, you know, he's going to be going going to do that, and then. I, you know, I'd show them all right, on the other side, you got the NWA, Crockett, eventually WCW, you know, show them Flair and Funk or show them Flair and Steamboat or something like that. I mean, hell, you could go back even further, show them Flair and Harley Race. I don't care. But just show them like this was, you know, the 
the hardcore Matt fans like this. Here's the promotion that was all Hollywood, you know, and pomp and pomp and everything. And then in the end, you say, and then here's the 92 Rumble where the two sides convene. And here's Hogan and here's Flair. And here's all these great stars from that era all in one match to really kind of put a bow on it. But, and I think it might be why, I'm not going to speak for him, but I'll let him speak right now. Justin, why he took the match number one. I actually remember one of my roommates, like, I was watching Flair Steamboat once. And this is, again, a novice fan. And they weren't that into it as they were into this. Because you have to remember, like, the person who doesn't follow wrestling, they just want to be, like, kind of entertained. They don't really, like, want to sit there and take it, like, as a serious thing. Like, Flair and Seabot made out to me. And and Flair and Seabot's, like, the all-time great stuff from that era. You're right. But I would absolutely show a non-fan like someone like my wife if someone's like oh t- i don't you know, this rick flair you always talk about him. what's so great about this rick flair i would absolutely show her this in front of any of the flair steamboat matches mm-hmm. yep it's important and it's most importantly entertaining like he said bobby heenan bobby heenan yeah, makes yeah. it entertaining too for people that are watching for the first time Although yeah. if my wife was watching, I would absolutely turn the volume down on certain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do think it's hard. I mean, I don't. <laughs> we are evident. talking like we are talking like generational differences here and everything. And I know some of our patrons are a little bit younger too, but like it is kind of hard, especially if you grew up watching two thousands wrestling, like you said, Kyle, for people to grasp like what a different world it was back then. You know, with this guy from the other promotion coming over and getting this kind of spotlight and why that's such a big deal. You know, like, I was just going to say, like, I've seen some of the discourse on Twitter. People are talking about 92 Rumble right now more than ever before. I saw someone joking about, oh, can we stop talking about the 92 Rumble? Well, it's because it's the 30th anniversary. Everyone's talking about it. Um, But, like, the people I see saying, oh... You know, it's it's an overrated match. Like John threw that out on Twitter, and then I even saw Sean Ross Sapp respond, and he was like, "Oh, that's a very common criticism." I was like, "I don't think that's common. Maybe you're wrong with newer fans, but like most of the people that were watching around that time or around our age, like universally rave about this match." So I do think it's kind of a it's a generational thing. I that was the first time I had heard that this is a common criticism, and it it does seem to come from people that are a little bit younger. And no matter how much you like read the history of that era or maybe go back on the network and watch the shows and stuff, it's really hard to put yourself in the time period because wrestling has not become a joke, but like we don't have as much as we love AEW, we still don't have that dynamic of these two national promotions that we had back then where there was this just hatred of the other side. I mean, it was a war even before the Monday night wars. And for, I mean, look, Dusty Rhodes came over. He's wearing polka dots, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, so, and Dusty Rhodes was as big as they come in the NWA. So for Dusty Rhodes to be wearing polka dots and then for Ric Flair, just a couple of years after that to win the freaking Royal Rumble, nearly bell to bell to become world champion was just such a seismic moment in the time that it's it's hard to appreciate it's, it if you weren't like in the in that period watching wrestling or shortly thereafter it's it's almost our you know punk beating cena you know the 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 workers fan heel beating the big champion to be 
crowned the guy uh, when it wasn't really expected, you know, in Punk's case, because we thought he was leaving and in Flair's case, because he wasn't a Vince McMahon guy. And, no. Yeah. Go ahead, no, I just got to go back. And, and like, again, it cannot be understated how unprecedented it was to have a heel win based on skill. I know mm-hmm. that like, yeah, okay. Hogan kind of helps. That just did not happen in this era of WWF. Mm-hmm. It's also a match that really bridges the generations too, because I remember watching this, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I saw it a couple of years after it happened. Now, I was aware of the result and stuff in the time or shortly thereafter, but then even seeing the match a couple of years later and then how I mentioned I would rent this one over and over again in the mid to late.